Hi everyone, uh, my name is Shupi, and I'm going to read uh, for us the word of God from Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 31. It can be found on page 899 of your pew Bible. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hayes, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, whilst Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. everyone I'm Bryony if you could please turn to page 1075 of the church bibles so we're reading revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to I don't know where I'm going to sorry what was that eight <laughs> there it is then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water, without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the word of the Lord.
Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Ed. I'm uh, one of the assistant ministers here at church, and you've joined us on our fourth and final week of our One Question for God series. So in this series, we've asked the community to submit questions they have for God, and we've asked answered the question, if God is loving, why are Christians so intolerant of different people? Uh, if, if God is loving, um, I've just forgotten our other ones, mental health and suffering, and, and why is there so much suffering? Well, today we come to this chirpy question. If God is loving, why is there hell, and who goes to heaven? Uh, I'm very sorry if you brought friends along today. Uh, this is a, a heavy one. Uh, but this question actually came to us from the Public Relations Department of the Australian Rugby Union, which was kind of them to submit a question. Uh, no, not really. But, uh, but it, is a, it is a topic that's on people's lips. People are asking this question, uh, and it's thanks to Israel Folau's comments on his Instagram account uh, in a large part. But hell is just such a loaded word. Uh, it literally raises the temperature of a room when you mention it. I remember being at a church uh, where a uh, student minister came, uh, sorry, an apprentice minister came to us from the central coast. He was looking to recruit people from St. Ives to go and join his uh, church on the central coast for a mission, a summer mission. And he came to us and he said, I need you to join us on our summer mission because people on the central coast are going to hell. And you have the words of eternal life that can save them. And it hit like a ton of bricks. I'd been in church for a while and I felt like I hadn't even heard people mention hell. And he was this young guy and he really believed it. I wonder if you believe in those realities of heaven and hell. Maybe you're more like a man I met recently at a Jewish funeral. I went to this Jewish funeral and at this funeral there was a lot of religion there was a sense of reverence for God, but there was no real sense of any relationship with God. So I got chatting to the, the best friend of the deceased, and I asked him whether or not he believed in God. He said to me, what I'm about to say I think sums up the attitude of most of the people in this room. He said to me, I don't believe in God, but I'm scared of him anyway. And I think that's often the, the attitude of our society when it comes to things of heaven and particularly things of hell. I guess it's probably the case why so many people got so outraged. People who outright deny the existence of God were thoroughly outraged what Israel Folau thought God would do with people when they die. Well, I personally want to say that I wish that hell was not a reality. I wish it for my dad, who's not a Christian. I wish it for the majority of people I interact with every day. I wish it wasn't real. But I don't think the Bible gives me permission to believe that. You know, if I want all the great promises of the Bible, the great truths that we hold on to, you can have a relationship with God. You can know for certain that God is your Father. You can have peace with God. You can have a certainty of your eternal destiny with God in heaven. If I want all that good stuff, I also need to accept and receive the hard truths of the Bible, the truths of God's judgment, the truths of the uniqueness of Jesus and Jesus alone. So when it 
comes to the heaven and hell, I don't want to stand here and give you my opinion because I, like everyone else out here, have never died. Uh, I've never been to that realm. I can't speak with any experience or wisdom on that, on that place. But there is someone who's claimed to have come from heaven itself. When Jesus came to earth, he taught and said that I, the Son of Man, have come from heaven. How, how could you know? Well, his life demonstrated the, the fruits, the evidences of heaven. He rose the dead. He, he restored broken bodies. He gave sight to blind people, hearing to deaf, speech to the mute. He, he healed and mended the sick. He showed the evidences of, the, of, of the, what we're looking forward to about heaven. He feasted and, and partied and celebrated with sinners and outcasts. And then he did what no one here has done. He did die himself. And then he did what no one in human history has ever, ever done, which was he came back from the realm of the dead, never to die again. And so it's to him and to his words and those that he taught that we're going to listen. And we're going to hear what they have to say about heaven and hell. The first and very important thing to say is that Christians have absolutely no place in consigning anyone to their eternal destinies. You know, so sadly, so many people have been told by overzealous Christians where they will spend eternity. And it is not their place to assign people to heaven or to hell. Many people as children were told where they would go. And I'm sorry if that was you. Because there's only one person who has the right to tell us where we will spend eternity, and that is the person who gave us our life. That's God himself. And so we want to turn to him and find out what he says about it. We're going to do two simple things this afternoon as we answer this question, if God is all-loving, why is there hell, and who goes to heaven? We're going to, we're going to look at the, the question of why there might be hell. And I want to show you that we need hell. We need it for justice and that we need it because God is loving, so fiercely loving. And then we're going to much more briefly look at the question of who goes to heaven. And I want to show you that you can be certain that you can know where you're going, that you can be amongst those who are certainly going there. So firstly, that question, hell, why do we need it? We need hell because we want justice. Life is terribly, terribly unfair. Uh, we got a sense of it in the story that Jesus told, the, the parable about Lazarus and the rich man. You know, there you had it. Rich man dressed in his royal garb, feasting, gorging himself. And right at his gate is this poor man Lazarus, just desperate for, for some leftovers, some scraps. And his own body becomes like scraps to dogs. And when you see the extremes of the injustices of this world like that, it upsets you, and rightly so. And when you see Hitler, who lived in luxury and millions of Jews perishing in starvation camps, when you see uh, casino owners feasting on their mega yachts and their victims gambling away, the money that they had for family dinner. When we see our suicide bombers robbing people of their loved ones and thinking that paradise and virgins await them, it is 
devastating and we long for justice. We want them to face justice. If all that Hitler faced was his own taking of his life, that's not justice. We want justice to be done and we don't want people to get out of it just through death. Well, the great promise of the Bible is that there will be justice. Wrongdoers are going to get their comeuppance. And it's going to fall on all evildoers, child molesters, drug drug lords, cyber thieves, corrupt politicians, bullies, liars, cheats, the greedy, the lustful, the selfish, the unjust, the unthoughtful. You know, if, if we want justice for Hitler, if we want justice for those who've deeply wronged you and I, well, actually, we also need justice for those that we've wronged. We can't have perfect justice for them and then not face the music ourselves. If we want justice, then there needs to be justice for everyone. And have a listen to what Jesus told us that God's judgment will involve. He said this, There's nothing concealed that won't be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but that is bad news for me. That is bad news if the things, my secrets, my thoughts, the things I've done that no one has seen, the things I've said that no one's ever heard, my private gossip, if that gets made public, well, I'm in trouble. I'm in a lot of trouble. I'm sure you are too. So it's not that God is not loving to judge this injustice in our world. It's actually because he's loving that he wants justice. He wants what is best for us. He wants what is fair. God loves and so God will bring about justice and judgment. And you've got to get this because the opposite of love is not judgment. The opposite of love is indifference. Picture for yourself, uh, imagine if you were in a committed, loving marriage relationship. And then uh, the person that you are married to chooses to be unfaithful in that relationship. Well, love for that person does not dust their hands and say, oh well, looks like they've got a better offer. No, love drives you to jealousy. Love would make you angry about that action. Love would make you long to get back what is rightly yours and yours only. And the Bible says that every single human being who has ever walked this earth, from the, the atheist, the agnostic, the Hindu, the Muslim, the Christian, we all have a relationship with God. Every one of us. It might not be a good relationship, but if you live on God's earth, you have a relationship with him. And in that relationship, God has been like a loving father to you. A loving husband, sorry. A loving and faithful husband. But we, in our relationship back with God, have been like an unfaithful bride. Have a listen to what God says it's like to love us. He says, all day long I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face. 
Friends, that's not just Hitler and Pol Pot and Stalin. That is you and I. That is Sydney Siders. That's us who walk around in God's world, breathing God's air, enjoying God's good blessings, sun, companionship, food, health, comfort, safety. We want all the good things that God gives us, but we don't want God. We say to God, stuff you. I won't love you the way that you love me. I'll love who I want to love. And I'll do what I want to do. And if you don't believe me, look at how we treated God when he came amongst us. The Son of God, Jesus, God on earth, the one we called Emmanuel, God with us. He came and what did we humans do to him? We killed God. We killed God because we didn't want him. So we have all turned away from God. We have all been unfaithful to him. And when there comes a time in any relationship where trust has been broken, where there's no doubt left where the relationship is headed, where our love has been paid back with hurt again and again and again, and so there will come a time with humanity when God says, enough is enough. You've had your chances. I offered you to know me as a faithful husband, but now you will only know me as a fearful judge. So how will God pay back people in judgment? Romans 2.6 says, God will repay each one according to their works. Totally fair. Totally just. God will pay back perfect, proportionate justice. No one's going to get a punishment that doesn't fit the crime. No one, will, uh, no one will get more than they deserve. No one will get less. So then I've got a bit of a question back for God. And that question is, well then God, how is a lifetime of rejecting you fair to receive an eternity of rejection by you? That seems unjust. Well, God is simply giving people what their lifetime of choices clearly indicates. Here's a thought. Would it actually be fair of God to take someone who hates him and has rejected him all their life and consign them to an eternity of worshipping him in heaven? If you don't want God in your life, then God will give you what you desire, an eternity in opposition to him. So what will that place be like? What will hell be like? The first thing to say is that it won't be just one big party. I remember getting in a car with some friends from high school after a raging 21st birthday. I was the last one into the car, and I got in, and one of them looked at me and said, I think you're getting in the wrong car, because everyone in this car is going to hell. And they went, woo! And they thought, yeah, hell's going to be awesome. All the boys doing everything the Bible tells us that we shouldn't be able to do. That is the way many people think about hell and they haven't given it much thought because there's one who came from heaven who knows all about hell jesus and he spoke about hell more than anyone else in the bible and he didn't do it just to ruin your fun he did it because he knew the dangers he did it as a loving warning listen to some of the ways that jesus described what hell will be like he said it will be a place of eternal punishment of unquenchable fire, a fiery furnace, a place of darkness, a 
place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is also not just the absence of God. A lot of people think that hell will just be where God is not. I mean, that's the equivalent of telling a vegan that they won't be able to get to eat meat for the rest of eternity. It's not that bad news. Uh, to say that hell is God's absence uh, is like telling the atheist it'll be like every other day of your life where you just think that God's not there. But tragically, the Bible says that hell is a place where God will be present in all the ways that people don't want him to be present. Present convicting us of our guilt. Present uh, judging that which is evil and wicked. Present punishing evil. Present maintaining life even when it's bitter and, and hard and full of sorrow. Present reminding people of their rejection against the one they can't overcome. Have a listen to some of the most frightening words that I think there are in Scripture. Uh, words I wish weren't there, but words that are in the Bible. It speaks about those who worship the beast, uh, speaking of those who have not turned to worship the Lamb, which is Jesus. So those who have continued in rejection of God. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night. The overarching picture that the Bible paints of hell is one of eternal conscious punishment. It is a devastating and tragic reality. The author C.S. Lewis, he, um, like the Bible authors, used picture language to try and help us grasp what it might be like, what hell could be like. Uh, he described that it might be like five men sitting around a pot of meat, each with long forks in their hands, long forks that are too long to feed themselves, but perfectly adequate to feed one another. Yet all five men sit around the pot of meat, starving and famished because they are trapped by their own self-interest, unable to serve others, trapped in a cycle of rebellion and sin, trapped without any of God's restraining grace, trapped without any of God's love and selfless sacrifice and service. I was sitting at the Boathouse Cafe in Balmoral this week, uh, a place that's kind of on the spectrum towards heaven in Sydney, you know, really nice. And a place that's quite hard to ponder the realities of hell. I was there on my day off and I was thinking to myself, gee, I wish hell wasn't real. I really wish it wasn't a reality. And I began to consider some of the things that are worth loving about God and thought about how they would be nullified or, or I guess, belittled if there was no hell. God is holy. He is pure and, and perfect. And how can he be that if wickedness continues to coexist with him? God is, is, is just. He can't let evil continue unchecked. God is good. How can he continue 
in his goodness if evil never gets called to account. God is truth. He has to deal with lies. God has promised victory over sin, the world, and the devil, and I want to be on the victor's side. I want to worship the one who gets the last say. I also realized that heaven wouldn't be much chop without hell either. Imagine for Lazarus arriving in heaven and finding that man dressed in his purple, continuing to gorge himself on the feast of heaven, unrepentant and unchanged. Imagine if those who hate God are assigned to an eternity of begrudging, bewailing worship of him. So according to the Bible, who then is destined for that place? You ready for some shocking news? Everyone. The Bible's deeply offensive. It passes God's verdict on all humanity. And, you know, we spend our lives judging people as good or bad, good if they're more like us, bad if they're in prison. We make our assessments of people. But no one has ever been faithful to God the way that we have called to being faithful to him. No one has ever loved God back the way that he has loved us. And here is God's assessment on all of humanity. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Israel Folau's comments might have led you to think, unhelpfully so, that gay people are more likely than straight people to face God's judgment. But the Bible does not discriminate between sexual orientation. In fact, if the Bible was to discriminate, it would probably say that rich people are more likely to end up in hell than anyone else. But poor or rich alike, gay or straight, all alike have failed to love God as we should, and all alike are destined to face God's judgment. So we want justice in our world. We want justice to be done. And if justice is done, if God loves us enough and wants truth and righteousness and wants the best for us, then if justice is done, then all of us, every one of us, ends up in hell. And you know, many imagine the God who does send people to hell like a bouncer standing at the pearly gates of heaven, turning people away who are clambering to get into heaven. But the Bible paints quite the opposite picture of the God of the Bible. The Bible says that God is actually at the gates of hell, arms wide open, begging, pleading and imploring people not to go where their lives are taking them. He begs us not to run headlong to our eternal destiny of hell. He begs us to run instead into his loving arms and receive and accept his rescue and his embrace. You know, you and I, we pine for justice in our world. We pine for justice to be done. But God not only pines for it, but God demands it. God has said justice must be done. And the only way for justice to be done in your and my life without us going to that eternal destiny, is if the hell that you and I deserve fall on someone else. And that's what's happened, friends. The closest thing we've ever seen to hell on earth happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus, God's only Son, the Messiah, God's King, faced the judgment of God. He faced the full wrath and anger of God against all our sin and rebellion. And Jesus went through hell 
so that you would never have to. Jesus has been there so that you can be rescued. That is God's great rescue plan, and it cost God absolutely everything. It cost him everything, and that's why it's so offensive to God when we say, no, I'm just going to find my own way to God. I'm going to be good enough for you, God. There's no other way to heaven. There's no bar to meet. There's no near enough is good enough. It doesn't matter who you or I think should go to heaven. It's all about being rescued from hell. And that is the storyline of the Bible. The Bible is not actually answering the question, how do you get to heaven? The Bible is answering the question, how can you be rescued from hell? So secondly and very briefly, the second part of the question, who goes to heaven? Well, it's a very brief and succinct answer. Only those who've been rescued from hell by Jesus. So how then do you make sure that you're one of them? Well, Jesus said, and Jesus was very clear, that there are really only two destinies that await us on the other side of death, heaven or hell. And in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, he showed us that there was no crossing over on the other side of death. There was no decision-making on that side. There was no going from heaven to hell, no going from hell to heaven because a great chasm had been fixed between the two. There is no crossing over on that side. Now is the time to cross over. Now is the time to make sure you don't go where you deserve to go, but you run into the rescuing arms of Jesus. I have young children, and uh, when enough is enough, Dad says, boys... Normally my daughter Matilda is quite good, so she doesn't get the count. Boys, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to count to three and then enough is enough. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and five eighths. God is counting, friends. The reason that God is waiting is because he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance and salvation. God is counting. He is on two and five-eighths. And he is saying, now is the time to cross over. Now is the time to run to Jesus and receive God's rescue. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Because of justice. Because he is a loving God and he loves us so much that he gets angry at our rebellion and one day he will say enough is enough. So stop running from him and run to him. Who goes to heaven? Only those who've run into the loving, rescuing arms of Jesus. How can you make sure that you are one of them? The Bible says very clearly, you just ask. You just ask Jesus. You say, sorry. Sorry, God, that I have been running from you, not loving you as I should, sinning against you. Thank you that Jesus went through hell so that I never, ever have to. Please forgive me, God. Please help me to live from this day forward, ready for heaven with Jesus as my Savior and Jesus as my Lord. That's a very simple thing that you can ask God and you can know for certain that you will go to heaven. That's a prayer that I'm actually going to pray now. And if you'd like, you could echo that in your heart to God. So I'm going to close in prayer. And if you would like, you can echo this prayer in your heart silently to God.
God of heaven, I'm sorry that I have not loved you as you have loved me, and I have run away from you and am destined for hell. Thank you that Jesus went through hell so that I would never have to. Please forgive me, God. Please help me to live ready for heaven. Please help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Savior and Jesus as my Lord. Amen. Very simple little prayer, but a prayer with eternal consequences. Short lives that we live, but lives that have serious, long, eternal consequences. If you've made that decision today, uh, I am over the moon. God is rejoicing. I would love to know. I'd love to pray more with you, and I'll be up the back after church if you'd like to chat. But please uh, do consider the very small proportion of this pre-life that we have in light of the eternal life to come. And remember that God does love us and God has offered his wonderful rescue. We're going to celebrate that now in our next song.